Hello and welcome to Lit Service, where we are fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Caitlin, and if I were a scene in a book, I would be a really awesome action scene where I get to sword fight a doctor. <laughs> um, I'm Kristen, and if I were a scene in a book, I would be the big reveal where whatever mystery has been unfolded and it takes everyone by surprise. I'm Cameron, and if I were a scene, I would be exposition disguised as a history test. <laughs> nice. And then, uh, hi, I'm Ayana, and if I was a scene, I think I would be the opening scene of two strangers meeting in the night for nefarious reasons. Nice. Oh, that's a great type of scene. <laughs> awesome. Well, a huge welcome to Ayanna Gray, the author of Beast of Prey, which comes out September 28th. I'm lucky enough to have got to read an early copy. It is great. You definitely should go get it. Tell us about your book, Ayanna. Sure. So my debut novel, Beasts of Prey, um, is a Pan-African-inspired young adult fantasy novel. It's the first in a trilogy, and it comes out actually September 28th, so this month. And um, it's a story that follows two black teenagers named Kofi and Ekon. Kofi is a beast keeper at a magical zoo, and she's indentured there with her mother. Um, and Ekon is an aspiring warrior just on the cusp of becoming a warrior and joining kind of the family tradition. And through a series of unfortunate events, their paths cross, and they end up having to form a pretty tentative alliance to enter the magical jungle that borders their home um, to find the, the monster that's been menacing their city for nearly a century. And of course, as you can expect, they step into the jungle and adventure ensues. And so it's a story with a bit of, uh, well, a lot of adventure. Um, I always say monsters, mythos, and magic. Um, also, just a dash of romance because I, I can't help it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, overall, just lots of lots of adventure and all of the things that I love as a fantasy reader. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I loved this book. I love the world building and the magic. Those are the things that really sell me on books is really, really great world building and magic. And I just I think you hit this book out of the park. It is amazing. Thank you. Um, so as I started reading, one of the first things I noticed was that um, Ayanna is really great at building scenes in a way that makes it really easy to read them and makes it really easy. Sorry. <clears throat> Sorry. It makes it really easy to want to continue reading. And this is kind of a ticky-tacky, crafty, line-level subject, but it's something we haven't talked about in a while. So um, we wanted to chat with Ayanna about how she approaches this. So maybe you could start by telling us what is a scene and how is that different from a chapter? Oh, I think, uh, at least to me, um, every every craft, every trade, every job has different kinds of measurements that you use. Um, and for me... At least for me, um, a scene is a kind of measurement for writers. I think, um, it, you know, it can be that, you know, you can have multiple scenes within one chapter. You can have one scene that lasts the duration of the chapter. It's a measurement. And what a scene is supposed to do can vary. I think for me, um, because I write in young adult and because I write fantasy, you want a scene to either drive the plot forward in some way to give us information that we didn't have, to create new questions that make us want to keep reading to give us more depth into the world or the characters. You want, whatever the scene does, you want it to be doing some kind of work that pushes your story forward in some kind of way. Um, so that's it for me, what I think a scene is. Well, and ideally more than one of those things, um, especially in YA where you have limited word count. I mm -hmm. mean, not really anymore. If you write fantasy, you can probably get away with a lot. Unfortunately, I have a book coming out in September too that breaks all of the word count rules. Unfortunately, but um, I <laughs> you think needed that all of those words, you can't. 
Um, you need a scene to accomplish more than one thing, especially at the beginning of a book. So um, how do you go about doing that? Unless you guys want to chime in here. Sorry, I'm moving on quick. I was just going to toss in that I definitely fall into the trap of this is the next thing the characters would be doing realistically. So I'm just going to write this next, which is not great because as Ayana was talking about, like you want, you want to actually be moving the plot forward, not just the characters through space. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of times when I'm drafting, I'll have it all separated. It'll be like they get from point A to point B and then they have a conversation and then they have a fight when really they should be moving from point A to point B while having a fight and a conversation. Right. <laughs> not always. That's that's not a rule. But um, so how do you uh, approach doing this, Diana? How do you build a balanced scene? For me, I, I mean, I'm a plotter and just that just means that when I go to write a story, I like to have a lot of what's going to happen in my head before I even start writing. For me, that helps me deal. It helps me prevent writer's block. Um, not always, because sometimes I'll still get to something I was planning to write and realize, oh, I, I don't actually like the way this feels. So I, I have ideas of, of you know, at a, at a high level where I need the characters to get to in order for the story to flow. Um, and I forget where I've read it. It's probably all over the internet, but I like for my chapters and for my scenes to balance conflict and resolution. And I also, I, because I'm, I'm really weird and I put, use analogies for everything. I think about, um, feeding a baby actually. Um, I don't have children, but I've watched, I've watched babies being fed and you think about, um, how it's sort of a balance where you don't want to scoop up too much food because if you do and you try to like direct that to the baby, you get food all over their mouths, they don't actually get it. But if you give them too little, they're cranky because they're like, that wasn't enough. So it's a balance of kind of, you know, giving but not too much um, and either resolving a problem for your characters or ending and creating a new one. And ideally, I think you want to resolve and then immediately add a new problem. Answer one question, then immediately follow up with a new question that then makes, makes readers want to um, want to keep reading. So it's, it's sometimes I have to kind of try a few different things before I find the right cutoff um, for a scene or a chapter. But that's the goal is solving and then creating new problems continuously until we're at the end of the story. Absolutely. And that's such a difficult thing um, to accomplish sometimes too, because you have to be constant, like you said, constantly feeding your child so that, so that they don't get frustrated because they don't know what's going on, which is actually something I'm excited to talk about during the chapter we're critiquing today. Kristen, you look like you are unmuted, so you must want to say something. No, it, no I just really like um, that, that analogy. And I guess... I've just been thinking about it as like the, a book is a massive series of puzzles that interlock. And I feel like a scene acts like an individual, like mini puzzle. Um, and I just really like the idea of conflict and resolution. I think that's a good way to move things forward. And I mean, there are all sorts of conflicts and resolutions you can have. They don't always have to be physical. You can have an internal conflict and an internal resolution. And those end up being really lovely scenes, too. Or a romantic one, or a B-plot one, or an A-plot. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that should be threaded through every single book. And I wanted to get to, like, the really ticky-tacky details, because I feel like this is something a lot of new writers struggle with. For me, at least, when I start writing a scene, I feel like the most important thing to do is to establish where characters are and who is talking so that readers understand the space that they're in. Did any of you guys want to expand on that and how you accomplish it? Oh, I agree. I agree. And I, I feel like, duh, I should have said that too. It's, I think it's important, and especially in the beginning of a story, I think there's so much 
it's weird because I don't want to scare anyone. Like, I don't want to scare any, like, aspiring authors. But the beginnings of your story are so important for laying down the groundwork, not only in the physical setting, but in the emotion and the in the tone, um, you know, create, like, you know, really creating characters that a reader wants to follow along and actually cares about what's going to happen to them and their goals and their motives and their, con- and so that when the conflict comes, you really feel for them and want to see them resolve that conflict. Um, so I think having, especially in the beginning, it's, it's important. And if you keep asking yourself, what does my, what do my, what does my character or what do my characters plural want? What is in their way? What, you know, why do they want this thing? What is in their way? How do they, how do they solve whatever problem they're having? Um, and just continuing to ask yourself that each time you start a scene. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cause if they're not actually addressing one of those things, then it feels like you're spinning wheels. Mm-hmm. This is a really technical thing that I think goes along with that, but just if it's a multi um, point of view book, establishing really fast in a scene whose perspective it's from, because that can get really confusing as somebody reading. Um, if you're head hopping or you're not sure whose thoughts we're with or following at a moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, ideally, see, the, people always use the rule where they're like, no matter what a character says, you should be able to know which character said it. And I really wish I were that good of a writer. <laughs> but I do feel like it's really important, <laughs> like within the first sentence of a scene, if you've got more than one character to, that we know who we're with. The next thing I wanted to bring up is that uh, scenes, and this it's fun to play with actually, to have more than one kind of scene. Like I've played with scenes that don't have any blocking because it's overheard or like a scene that is mostly fighting, but it's really hard to balance that. And scenes that feel the best tend to have an even balance of different kinds of, uh, of like blocking and dialogue and internal. How do you approach that? Oh, um, it's again, I, I don't know how weird my process is or how normal it is. That's relative. Um, I really have to visualize everything. And I almost write it like a script. Like, you know, for me, the two main characters in my story are named Kofi and Ekon. And so Kofi says this, Ekon says this, Kofi's. And so I get the dialogue in my head and I literally kind of hear them in my head talking. Um, and then I think about, okay, I start asking myself questions. Where are they standing or sitting or what are they doing? What's around them? You know, how are they feeling? Like, let's check in and do kind of an emotional beat check. How are they feeling? How would they react to, to this? Are they upset? And then not only how are they feeling, but what would they be showing versus how they're actually doing in, in their heads? Um, Kofi and Econ are teenagers. Um, and so I, I know that as a teenager, emotion can kind of vary. And so I, I think um, that's something that I always kind of check in with myself. And then for me, the sprinkling on the on the cake, so to, so, so to speak, is um, adding those sensory cues. You know, and that's where you talk about. And I think the closer and more specific you can get with your characters' POVs, the more you bring a reader in. So, what are they smelling? What are they feeling? Are they swallowing? Are they like, is it hot? Is their skin burning? Is it, are they freezing? Are they clenching their teeth? These really personal things that, that a character is doing. Um, but I have to, I have to get like kind of the speech first, and then go become more and more specific as I refine and revise and draft. I really like that because I feel like so many writers feel like they have to get it all out in their first draft when real writing is writing it a thousand times until it's the right way. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I love that you do it that way. I wish that I, I could make myself just do the dialogue first. I always have to put something. And then there's just a bunch of like, she clenched her teeth and she waved like in the middle that I have to delete later. 
That's good though. That's good though. Um, and there's something called the emotional thesaurus. That's a really neat, um, it's a thesaurus, but it's like, you know, there's a, there's a page called fear and it has all of the physical things that a person does when they're afraid. And so sometimes if I find myself relying on the same, the same clenched jaw, the same like bared, bared teeth, arched eyebrow, whatever it is, I'll try to go look and push myself to find something else. But I think interviewing yourself, like just asking yourself a thousand questions every time you go about a scene helps you figure out the, the heart of a scene. Okay, well, I think we've kind of touched on all of these things just as we've been talking the things in our outline. Is there anything else any of you want to add just to any I, last thoughts? I actually kind of want to talk a little bit about like scene breaks and exactly how to decide when to use those and when not to because I think a lot of books do it stylistically different. Like I was just rereading The Midnight Lie by Marie Rakowski and she uses scene breaks like insane, like that there is so little connective tissue between scenes, whereas some other books are a little bit more connected. And I guess I'm just wondering if anyone has some thoughts about when to use that or what scene breaks do for you that more connective tissue w wouldn't. Oh, I have a, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I've talked a I was, lot. <laughs> I, mean, I was just going to say, my, I have thoughts on, I would also love to hear more about this because I know at least in my, in my process, my words per minute comes to a screeching halt when I get to scene transitions. So any, any, any wisdom y'all have on the subject? I find transitions really, really hard. It's like one of my, the things I least like doing. Um, I was going to say, and it's sort of like me answering a question with a question slash thought. Um, for me, when you're writing in multi-POV, it just, I have to be totally honest, it, it's jarring for me when characters change POV within a, even like within a chapter. I think scene breaks allow you to do it. Um, but I think if you have character A and character B and you need character A to jump from afternoon to evening, but I think Cameron, you said you kind of like to say, okay, and then they did this and then they did this. It's a way to jump between the mundane things and stay with the action, especially especially in YA where you have an audience that wants to keep keep things moving. Um, it's a way to stay with the action. You know, we can assume that between three o'clock and six o'clock, they didn't do anything that we need to know. But I remember I was reading a friend of mine's work and uh, she changed character POV in the middle of a chapter with a scene break. And I was like, wait, who's talking? Um, so I think it can be done, just has to be really carefully done. Um, to speak to, I think something that Kristen was saying earlier is it can be it can be really jarring. Yeah, I actually love scene breaks a lot. <laughs> when I am writing multi POV books, I just love breaking things off at the worst possible moment, which probably makes people hate me. <laughs> but I love it because if you have three characters in the same scene and you really want to stay in one's head, and then you have to see it from the other person's head, and then by the end of that scene, you're like, no, I want to stay with this person. I just, I love it so much. But um, finding the exact right moment to cut things off can be challenging sometimes. But I, I agree with what you just said, too, like just that quick summary of from three to six we kept walking or we, you know, like just <laughs> yeah. giving a little bit of a cue. They're like, time passed, but we're not going to talk about it. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, unless we have any last thoughts, I think we're going to move on to the uh, second portion of our podcast where we critique a submission from you lovely listeners. Um, if you would like to see the text of this submission and um, some of our notes, you can check on our website, which you can Google because it's too long for me to say. And if you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines and upcoming guests there. 
So a summary of our submission, a librarian receives a much-anticipated letter, but is recruited to run a tour of the library before she can read it. What are some things we like about this? I was immediately intrigued, you know, by the by who this this mysterious kind of library patron was. And I thought that was that's the goal is if you make a, make somebody want to keep reading and want to find out more, you, you've done your job in the first chapter. Absolutely. Um, I thought the personality from our POV was it started off pretty strong and then it stayed that way. Just from the emphasis that we, we get that she puts on her physical appearance without ever being told directly that, that that's something that really matters to her. And then the way she handles um, yeah, yeah, the, the, the fact that she, she's going to make sure the people who go on this library tour have a good time, regardless of what life-shattering events may be going on for her. So I thought, you know, just some good personality on display. Just conceptually, I love the idea of a huge, mysterious library with a strange patron who may or may not be magic. Like, that's just awesome. Mm -hmm. I really like that, too. There's some really great little details in there, too. Like, um, there's a, a thought that there's this ode to the Scarlet Pimpernel that was built into the library, and she's like, maybe that means he lives a double life. And I like the hints that there might be magic. There's vampires or wizards. And... Um, I really love some of the hints we get about our, our main character's backstory with her grandmother and her mother, which I think is setting up a really interesting character arc and some like emotional stuff going on, which I love in a first chapter. I agree. I also, because I, I mean, I mentioned it to you, I really appreciate when people add those small specific details. And I noted, you know, like something like the smell of wood polish. You start to think about what does wood polish smell like? And it, it just brings you into that world, whatever the world is. Um, and from the opening lines, I mean, there's an immediate urgency because she's received something. It's a big deal. Um, and then she's thwarted because she doesn't get to open it. And so I, I liked that immediate question, like something something big has happened. There's immediate action. Okay, so if, um, unless we have any last thoughts, we are going to move on to things that might need a second look. So what do we think? So, okay, the thing that, the thing that I... I would, you know, would take a second look at if I was looking at the like, revising. Um, I think we start out with that urgency and that that really intriguing question of, okay, there's a mysterious letter from a mysterious patron. Um, and then our, our main character, I think Rose goes, she gets pulled aside by this tour. And I felt like we got a lot of information that probably is important in the story, but I wondered if we needed it right then and there so much of the background. I, I think when, you know, you capture an audience and you can deviate a little, like I'm not saying the tour shouldn't have happened and the people coming in and talking to her, but and maybe, you know, in the back of her mind, is she still thinking about this letter? Because we don't hear about the letter again until the very, very end, which is good because it brings back the question of where did this letter come from? What does it say? What is it going to do? Um, I really just, I wanted to see that urge, that same urgency from the beginning carried out through the entire passage. I definitely agree, um, and I think sort of sort of packaged into that because, like I was saying earlier, or while I was saying earlier, like the personality is really good. I feel like for most of it, we're kind of missing driving whys and wants. Like we know we know that there's this mysterious letter, but we don't actually why it's important to her remains a mystery um, clear until page seven, which you know maybe in other genres you might be able to get away with that, but in YA, I feel like page seven is a long time to go without saying why why we have that emotional link to what's going on i'm not sure this is ya um it wasn't marked but i think she's already graduated from high school so there's room for it to be maybe that adult? is completely valid 
I was wondering about that. <laughs> I actually was wondering about that. That would change how I felt about it, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I do think that baseline here, it made me think of an episode we did with Dong Won Song, um, who's an agent at Howard Moore Hamlet um, last year. I think it was last year. They um, talked about this in a much clearer way than I ever managed to. So if you would like to go back and listen to that episode, please do so. But they said that knowing what is on the line for your character and what is happening is always going to trump a lack of information propelling you forward. And I feel like that's really where where we missed a step here in this first chapter because I really wanted to care about this letter. Like, it's it's cool. It's got this cool calligraphy on it. It's got it's sealed with wax. Like, it's got all the cool stuff. But I was really missing the why. And we didn't find out why the, the SC Falcon guy was even interesting until much later. And so if I had known all that up front, I would have been like, oh, she got a letter. Oh, my gosh. And I would have been right there with her and excited at the same time as her instead of the whole time being like, why am I supposed to care about this? So that's probably the biggest feedback I had about, about so, this chapter. So my point was completely valid. It was just the reasoning I gave was total garbage. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> Depends. Um, I wanted, I had, I wrote little like things as I was writing kind of to the side. And, you know, earlier we talked about scenes. Um, and my questions were, okay, we're in this grand library, but, you know, what time of day is it? Uh, what's, this is silly, my, but my, my literary agent asked, actually got me to start thinking about this more in my writing. You know, what's the weather like? Weather can be a like massively powerful thing in setting tone. If it's a dark, <laughs> dark stormy night, you know, <laughs> if it's a scorching hot day, if it's a crisp autumn afternoon, like that can immediately set a tone that can, that I think can carry through a story. You can give weather, you can almost personify the weather I think, in a, and that's another way that immediately brings a reader in. And so I had questions, like, and another thing, um, what era are we in? Because we can assume a fairly contemporary, but if you tell me, um, you know, that this is early 1900s, that totally changes the experience for me. Is this, like, I mean, could it, it could be futuristic, I suppose, but those little questions, what time is it, what's the weather, um, you know, more of those cues, like, you know, is she sweating, is she freezing, you know, um, those things just help me feel like I'm almost side by side with the character experiencing all these things right there with her. Yeah. There's a big difference between the eighties and right now. Yeah. But this could have been another one. Yeah. yeah. And my question that is small, but I kept bothering me was I was like, what is this town? Like, is this library in a big city? Is it a weird attraction in a tiny town? How did all these tourists find it? And I, I don't think that we need all of those in individual sentences, but just having a sense of, of I guess, the atmosphere would have helped me a little bit. My little technical thing, mm-hmm. though, is just to be careful about overusing figurative language. I think this is a really good example of, like, there's a ton of good phrases and good sentences, but I feel like sometimes some of the paragraphs would have three or four examples, and you probably could just pick the, the one strongest one and that would be more powerful. So just a thing to look at. I agree. It's tempting. I mean, I I know it's tempting when you think of a really beautiful metaphor or, you know, it's tempting to want to throw it in. But something that I had meant, I've forgotten to mention this kind of in part one, but with scenes, the test to know, like, should this scene stay um, is remove it. Remove it and and see what happens. Does taking that out remove a vital piece of information? Does it make us? Does it take away an opportunity to get to know a character a little more deeply? But if it doesn't, and this is this is subjective because I I write I tend to write plot plot centric things. To me, 
if you can remove a scene without it massively affecting the story, you kind of have to ask, do I need it? And some people will be like, yes, you do. But I'm kind of <laughs> like, I'm, 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 I'm ruthless. And I'm like, if it's not doing something for me, building character, building world, moving the story, then I tend to just chop it. Probably a good philosophy. <sighs> and it's hard too cutting stuff out. It, I mean, until you're pretty, well, even after, after you're a pretty experienced author, it can really cut. So. It, yeah. Don't, don't cut them. Just cut what I, someone came up with this advice and it's really good. Just cut it, like literally control cut and go put it in a folder. Don't actually delete it. Just keep it somewhere so that you don't feel like you've totally killed it. It's just <laughs> retired. It's just, it's just in a, in a different home right now. Um, and that can kind of help, but um, I absolutely yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a weird, it's a mental trick, but it feels less less cruel to just take the words and put them somewhere else. And it feels I less do, permanent. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. You can always go back and fondly reread that funny dinner party scene that you ended up not needing. <laughs> well, and I end up recycling things sometimes. I'm like, I really like this tiny part of a scene and I still have it and I can go insert it in somewhere else where it won't be a part of junk and bonus <laughs> bonus content yeah. you know someday like readers are like i want i want to know and like they love you know two characters like if they had a dinner party what would that be like and you're like luckily i have a dinner party scene <laughs> it's always dinner That's parties right. okay so do we have any last minute thoughts on this anything else we want to say i want more <laughs> i was in, i was really intrigued i wanted to know more about about mr falcon Absolutely. He sounds really super interesting. Cameron, I keep looking at you and I keep think like I keep thinking you're gonna say something. <laughs> this is why Leah is in charge, because she's good at this and I'm not. Okay. Um so thank you so much to this author for submitting. It was a joy to read your work and best of luck as you continue editing and on your publishing journey. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Ayana. We are super excited to have you here and um I didn't let you say anything there so thank you for coming on the show oh yeah thank you so much for having me i don't get to um i don't get to talk like really deep craft and i'm i just i love craft um so this was really cool to like get into the bones and get into the nitty-gritty of it so thank you yeah thanks for sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge with us we love hearing from authors um and be sure to check out beasts of prey it is coming out september 28th our next guest will be Margaret Owen, the author of The Merciful Crow, The Faithless Hawk, and the forthcoming Little Thieves. If you would like your chapter critiqued um, by Margaret, then get us your work by September 20th. If you like what you've heard, please check out our new Patreon page where you can get bonus content like hot seat critiques, early episode access, and a writing group experience with Lit Service crew members. It takes a whole team of creatives to make Lit Service, and patrons help us keep going. Thank you to all of you who have already become patrons and are keeping us on the air. Thanks to our assistant, Chelsea Mortensen, who does all our social media, and Craig Harris, who's on sound design. We couldn't do the podcast without them. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. Thanks for listening to Lit Service. We'll see you in two weeks.